Well, hi there. I hope that you've been finding this series on the Bible really, really helpful. We've been looking at how through the Bible we can experience a better story. We started with a helicopter view of the Old Testament. We went back to looked at the whole theme of origins and meaning, exodus and freedom, and then exile and peace. And today we want to continue the story by looking at the coming of the Spirit and how through the Spirit God comes to satisfy our human thirst for community. It's an exciting part of the story because it's where you and I enter in, as it were. Talking of a human thirst, one of the first things that you and I did when we entered this world was almost undoubtedly go, not just once, but many times. It was not just a cry of physical thirst, to have a physical need satisfied, but psychologists tell us that, you know, right from the moment we're born, we're searching for a relational connection with others. In other words, that cry is not just for feeding physically, but it's for love, comfort and connection. And that desire, that thirst for relationship doesn't just cease when uh, you know, we start growing up. It's something that you and I still have integral to the very fact of us being human beings. And so today I want to look at how through the coming of the Holy Spirit in what we know as Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, um, that connection with God, that thirst for relationship with God is satisfied in a new way and also at the same point, how through the coming of the Holy Spirit, you and I can experience a new community or friendship or relationship with others. So we're going to look at friendship with God vertically, friendship and relationship with others horizontally, and how through that, as it were, that dual connection, yours and my thirst for community can be satisfied. So let's look first at the whole theme of friendship with God. Now, if you look back at the Old Testament, we will see that, you know, people did encounter the presence of God. Right back to the garden, we see God meeting with the first human beings. Uh, We see how in the Exodus, God appeared to his people uh, with the pillar of Uh, fire and with the cloud. We also see how they were instructed to build a tabernacle or a tent and later on a temple and God promised that he would come and dwell with his people. But I generalizing I would say that this whole Old Testament picture has the sense of distance between an awesome and a holy God and between sinful human beings. In other words although God was present there was a sense of a gap And that's where the coming of Jesus is so wonderful. You see, when Jesus was born, as we saw last week, one of the names that he would be called was Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus wasn't just a human Messiah anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was also the Son of God. If you like, God was present in human form. So when Jesus goes out in his ministry and he calls his disciples and he heals the sick and he raises the the dead, he changes people's lives. It's like the very presence of God, the very um, temple of God is there in human form. It was a a God that you could know and see and converse with. And it literally changed the lives of uh, multitudes of people, including his closest disciples. 
So imagine the shock and horror when Jesus announces to his disciples, says, guys, basically, I've got to go. He was planning to go to the cross and then eventually to heaven. And he actually then goes on to say in John chapter 16, it's better for you that I go away. And he starts talking about how in his place, as it were, he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And we see how this promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counsellor, strengthener, standby to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with, with you continually and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved and helpless. I will come back to you. Wow, what a promise. And that was a promise for the disciples then. And it's a promise for us today. You see, as Jesus um, goes to the cross, he rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples for 40 days, but then he ascends to heaven. It's this idea that Jesus physically now is no longer present on the earth. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling and reigning and he is going to come back physically one day. But in the meantime, Jesus is saying, is you're not going to be alone. I'm going to send someone like me, someone who, as it were, is united to, to, with me. And when he comes, he's not just going to be with you, he's actually going to be in you. And that is a stunning, stunning promise. You see, as amazing as it would have been to have met Jesus in person on the earth, Jesus at the time was limited to his physical uh, body. And so that meant that while he was in Jerusalem, he couldn't be in Peterborough or London <clears throat> or Lagos or New York or Edinburgh. But now through the Holy Spirit coming, Jesus is present with us and actually comes to live in us by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we see this promise of the coming of the Spirit fulfilled on what we know as the day of Pentecost. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2. This is the birthday of the church. This is one of the defining moments in biblical and world history. The disciples are waiting, they're praying, and we read how suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And those symbols there of a rushing wind and tongues of fire, they're, they're symbols and pictures, if you like, for us, that God is coming in a powerful way. And the great news is that God has been present on the earth by his Spirit um, ever since the day of Pentecost. And as a result, these disciples were changed. They became bold where they were fearful and they went out empowered by the Holy Spirit spreading the good news of Jesus and changing the world and the lives of multitudes of people. Now if we look back at the whole of the New Testament and we read some of the letters um, for example of the Apostle Paul we'll see that the person of the Holy Spirit is actually central to the whole revelation and to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, in one particular letter, writing to a church in Corinth, Paul talks about how they may know <clears throat> the fellowship of 
the Spirit, or as one translation puts it, the intimate friendship of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is actually a person. He is powerful, but he's not a force like in Star Wars. He's not impersonal. He's somebody who wants to come to live on the inside of us and to be with us, representing Jesus and the Father to us. I think that's absolutely wonderful. You know, as I look back at my life, I had a thirst for God as I was growing up. I didn't really know that's what I was looking for. I tried to fill, if you like, the vacuum, the hole in my life with all kinds of other stuff. But when I invited Jesus Christ to come in at the age of 19, <clears throat> I experienced the Holy Spirit flooding my life with his love, with his joy and with his peace. Totally changed my life. About 18 months later, I started reading things like the book of Acts and I realised there was like another dimension of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who was in me wanted to fill me with his power and somebody prayed for me, laid their hands on me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to exercise spiritual gifts. But that was just the beginning. For the last 35 years or so, I've experienced this intimate friendship with the Spirit. It means that right from the moment I wake up in the morning, maybe I'm, I wake up and I feel anxious, but I'm conscious that the, the helper, the comforter, the spirit is right there with me. Maybe I'm sensing challenge in a particular area. I sensed him guiding me and giving me strength. I may come to you know, read the Bible and open the Bible and I sense him helping me understand the Bible. He helps me pray. He gives me a new sense of purpose and a new sense of peace. One of the um, exhortations that the Apostle gives to the early Christians is that we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I like to walk a lot and very often maybe on our <clears throat> Sabbath, on our day off, I'll go out with Karen and we'll walk together. But if we're walking along and I'm walking too fast or too slow, we're not going to have real conversation and relationship because we are not in step together. And I believe one of the great um, exhortations for you and me is that when we come to Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, it's so important that we, as it were, get our step in step with his step, our pace in, in, in line with his. You see, sometimes I've found over the years, I've tried to run ahead of the Holy Spirit or sometimes I lag behind the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love to do is I like to sensitize myself to his leading and to his guide, to find out what he likes. I found out the certain things he likes. He likes it when I love people and forgive people. He doesn't like it if there's gossip or there's slander or there's impurity. And I want to please the Holy Spirit. And I find that the closer I get to the Holy Spirit, the more this deep thirst, as it were, this longing for meaning and relationship with God is satisfied. You and I can have a greater and deeper relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing, <clears throat> relationship or fellowship with the Spirit. But actually, if we look at the Bible as a whole, we realise that not only do we have a horizontal need for communion or friendship with God, but we also have a relational need for community with others. And I just want to play you a, a short story, somebody called Raj, and just look at how she experienced a life-changing encounter with God through Jesus by the Spirit, but also began to experience the transformational um, impact of being in Christian community. So please watch this. 
I was born, I was one of seven children, and as I was growing up, I could feel my parents would treat me differently. Um, for example, my dad would be playing with my brothers, hugging them, and I'd go in for a hug, and he'd just push me aside. My brothers and sisters could see how dad was different towards me, and they also would call me names and hit me and mock me. So I had this sense always as a kid that there was something wrong with me and um, I wasn't wanted um, and also never felt loved by them. I tried to do what I could to be good enough for them, but nothing I seemed to do was good enough. When I used to come home from school, I was forced to do all the housework and I remember one evening while I was cleaning and everyone was asleep, my mum's my tablets were there and I started to take all these tablets wishing I was dead. And the next morning, my dad turned around and said to me, shame it didn't work. And I think the reality hit me that there's nothing, nothing I can do to make this man love me. So when I was 18, I finally ran away from home and I just rebelled against the culture I was brought up. I started drinking, smoking, partying. And I also um, rejected God, I actually blamed God. But fundamentally, the thing I wanted more than anything was to be loved and find love. I moved to London with a boyfriend and I found myself getting involved in some really dodgy stuff. But also at this time was a time when I met my first ever Christian and this lady just showed me unconditional love. She um, was kind, she listened to me and made me feel of worth. One evening, I found myself crying. I found all the stuff that I had pushed down through my whole life, all the pain just coming up to the surface. And I heard a voice say, Raj, stop crying. And I knew it was Jesus. I don't know how, but I knew it was Jesus. And I found myself talking to Jesus for the very first time, asking him why, why was my life so hard? And I just said to him, I just don't want to do it anymore. Would you just take my life? I just want to be dead. And what I felt was, um, rather than me being beamed up to heaven, I felt just love being poured into me. And I felt the Holy Spirit come and fill all that got emptied out, just fill me up. And I felt this peace and joy and just happiness for the first time. So I started to go to church and I was surrounded by a community of people that loved me, accepted me, and I, for the, for the very first time, I felt like I belonged to a family. And in the process of my time there, I, they prayed for me, they, I dealt with a lot of the pain and the rejection. I found my voice and my purpose in life. And my life is completely transformed by Jesus and I'm just so thankful to God for all that he's done for me. So a great story of somebody who experienced that double transformation, if you like, vertical connection, friendship with God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and then the combination of that and then experiencing community horizontally with others. And that takes me to my second point, the importance of us experiencing friendship with God, but then secondly, friendship with others. You know, if we go back to the Bible, the Bible makes clear right back in Genesis 2 verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. And if that was true then, it's so true today. You know, even prior to COVID-19, studies were um, indicating that as a society, we were getting more lonely and more isolated than ever. And then things like social distancing and lockdown has put huge pressure 
on all of us. And if we have this human thirst for community, the question is, how can we connect with others in the midst of such a tough time? Well, I believe uh, we need to be creative and proactive, not think about what we can't do, but as much as possible, think about what we can do. And also, as we uh, look at community and relationship with others and the importance of that, we need to realise it has hugely important benefits for us. You know, when we're in healthy relational connections with others, you know, it can affect our stress. Our stress levels will go down. Our immune system uh, gets stronger. Our sleep can get better. It has many, many amazing benefits. And so let's just go back to the book of Acts Let's pull the curtain back. Let's look again at this beautiful picture of healthy Christian community that we see in the book of Acts. The Spirit comes down, fills the followers of Jesus. Peter gets up, preaches about Jesus Christ. 3,000 people become Christians. They get baptized as an expression of their connection to Jesus, but also their initiation into the new community and then this is the response of these new followers of Jesus. And before I look at what they did, I just want us to step back and just pause for a moment and just think how beautifully countercultural what we're about to see was. You see, in a time that we're living in, where it feels like slander and gossip and cutting people off and anger and aggression seems to be almost like going viral. Let's take a time to look back at the mirror of God's word to the early church. Not a perfect church, but a beautiful picture of how church should be. Church that wasn't an institution, but was a community and was a family of God's people. Let, let me read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, that's the key word for our purposes, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notwithstanding some of the restrictions that we may be facing right now, let's just be inspired again by the example of these early Christians. First thing I notice is that they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the community or the fellowship. And I believe it's a beautiful picture of how we need to be as God's people. You see, when we know God's loving loyalty to us, we can live out a loving loyalty to others. You know, not to disconnect, but to stay connected and united. So if we see a loving loyalty. We see a sense, see a sense of generosity. They met one another's needs. We sense, see a sense of joy. There was no sense of drudgery about them connecting together. They love one another. And then we see a beautiful picture of how they, they were together in sincerity, with glad and sincere hearts. Now that word sincerity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Um, Hippocrates was a Greek word used by an actor uh, who would put on a show by hiding behind a mask. In other words, as this actor was performing, um, they were um, hiding in such a way that you never saw the real purpose, the real person. You see, much human socialising can be us wearing masks. But when we experience the Holy Spirit 
and we experience a new intimacy with God and we know that we are loved and accepted just as we are. It means that we don't have to perform for God and we don't have to perform before one another. It means that we can take off the mask and experience true vulnerability, which I believe is an essential ingredient for real community. So there's this sense of transparency, community. So it's one thing to be connected to other people, but it's another to be truly authentic and vulnerable in all our relationships. And I believe this works two ways. You see, in a time that we're living in right now, first and foremost, I believe you and I need to realise that our human thirst for relationships and to be creative and proactive in reaching out to others. You see, just like uh, newborns or toddlers or young children will take the initiative in expressing their need. Ah, they're crying out for help. I believe for you and I to cry out for help or to ask others to input into our lives is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. You know, over the years, I've become increasingly aware of my need of others. You know, whether it be my wife or my family or the team I work with or my small group or people I've got praying for me. I will regularly reach out to people and say, um, I'm struggling here, can you help? Will you pray for me? I've got other people in my life who are uh, beyond the, uh, my local um, setting, um, people who I've established an online connection with for many years, people who help me in my spiritual journey or in my emotional health, and I connect with them regularly. There's something very powerful, and, and there's something about me opening up, and sometimes just sharing where I'm at, just the very fact of saying where I'm really at and discussing it and having input can have an incredibly releasing effect. So that's on the one hand. Can I encourage you? Don't stay stuck where you are. Please don't stay isolated. Reach out for help. But on the other hand, as well as us, as it were, crying out to others, can those of us who are maybe doing well and have got connections, let's be prayerful and sensitive to those who may need our help. So why not, as one of the actions from this message, you know, think about maybe three to five people who either you know or you don't know very well, and the Holy Spirit will put them on your heart, and he may say, I want you to pick up the phone to so-and-so. I want you to text so-and-so. I want you to arrange a Zoom call with, 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 with this particular person. And then you say, well, what do we talk about? Why not just say, you know, you've been in my heart. How are you doing? Anything I can pray for. And see what God does. Let's be proactive in, in asking for help and in offering help, particularly in these challenging times. And you see, when we're like this, and when we choose to, as it were, go countercultural and stay connected and be creative, it means that we can flourish even in tough times. You see, that's what the early church did. They faced massive challenges, in many ways bigger than ours. Their challenge was persecution. They grow, they see miracles, but they're also persecuted by the Jewish and Roman authorities. On one occasion, it gets so intense by Acts chapter 8 that they get scattered. They can no longer gather and meet as they were. They get dispersed. And yet it looks like the more they're persecuted, the more they grow, the more they flourish. There's something about being closely connected that means it doesn't matter what the storms of life blow at us, we'll stay strong together. One of my favourite pictures of this is uh, the, the sequoia trees. You know, these are the largest and the oldest trees in the world. They can grow to 80 metres 
and they can survive for about 3,000 years. I don't know if you've ever studied them. But the amazing thing about these sequoia trees, these massive, uh, long-lasting trees, is actually their own individual roots are actually quite shallow in the soil. What they do is they interlock their roots together with loads of other trees. It's like they're more like a forest than individual trees. And so no matter how fierce the storm blows, they can stay strong together. And there's something about crisis that if we'll connect together, we can come out stronger. A bit like a band of brothers or a, a, a troop of soldiers out there. Something about the collective danger means that they, they, they bond together in a time of adversity. Let's, like the early Christians, not only love one another and stay connected, but let's be strong together, even in the time of trouble. And then finally, like the early church, we can learn that to be church is not a monocultural thing. It's not a cliquey thing. It's an inclusive, global, um, it's a multicultural church. You see, the early church started out as a small Jewish sect in one city in Jerusalem. But that was never Jesus' plan ultimately for them. He would said that you were to start in Jerusalem but then go out to Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or in another passage in Matthew 28, Jesus said, I want you to take the, the gospel and make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnic groups, all nations. And so by Acts chapter 8, as they start getting persecuted, the first thing that happens is that a Jewish believer called Philip goes and reaches a city in Samaria. The despised Samaritans start coming to Jesus Christ. The end of Acts chapter 8, we've got an Ethiopian eunuch, a high official, uh, that comes to Christ. Then by Acts chapter 10, we've got a Roman centurion, his whole household become Christians. Acts chapter 11, um, the, the, the gospel goes viral. Um, from Jews to non-Jews or Gentiles. And so within a few decades, we have a church that is made up of Jews and Samaritans. We've got Africans and Europeans all together as part of this wonderful family. And for those of you who know anything about church history, um, there came a point where for many centuries, Europe was the centre of Christianity. But right now, the centre's shifting again. For many decades, the, la the fastest growing, most vibrant church across the world is found in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, and places like in China um, with the underground church. All that's to say the church is not the preserve of one people or one particular type. Church is for everyone. This Christian community is very small. It works on the micro level two or three people just coming together. And it's also on the macro level, a glorious global multicultural church, diverse and yet united by the Spirit. And that means, as Paul puts it in Galatians 3 verse 28, that we are to celebrate diversity and yet contend for our unity. Paul puts it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is the male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And wherever you're at, wherever you're from, you can belong to the family of God. So as we conclude, I want to remind us that you and I have a human thirst for community. But through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can experience God's presence, as it were, vertically. The Spirit wants to come in us, live within us and dwell with us. 
And then secondly, the Spirit wants to come and strengthen this sense of community with others. So let me pray. And maybe you're here today watching and you don't really know God. You've never experienced God's presence. Or you are a Christian and it's like you feel like God's distant. Can I tell you, he's not departed. You've, you, you've probably withdrawn from him. But God wants to lovingly come to you. He wants to fill you afresh. And he wants to satisfy again that deep human thirst that you have for him. And then for all of us, I want to pray for a strengthening of our relationships, especially in these challenging times. So let me pray. Father, I thank you right now that you sent us, Jesus, to manifest and make known your love and presence on the earth. And then you sent Jesus, your greatest gift to us. You, you sent the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, the Spirit is here from the Father that we might have our deep longing for you satisfied. I pray, Father, for anyone who doesn't yet know you, they might be able to open up their heart and you might fill them right now. For those of us who already know you, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and our lives in a new way. May we know that with you we are never alone. You're always with us. You're for us. You're our helper 24-7. May you comfort and strengthen every single one of us. And then I pray, Lord, for all of us, even in the midst of these challenges, that we might be proactive and creative in giving and receiving help and hope and healing to one another. May your church be strengthened in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to receive Jesus Christ or you prayed along with me at that time and you sense you were inviting Jesus Christ into your life, you can follow a link um, on the screen. And now we're going to continue uh, with the end of our service.